0: Well, good morning and welcome to Burke Community Church. We wanted to lead off uh, the portion that we're about to begin with a advertisement about this year's Global Leadership Summit. We'll have an opportunity for you to sign up in the four year after that, and I hope that you'll consider coming here on August 8th and 9th. This is a number of years that we've sponsored the Global Leadership Summit, and we're looking forward to this year as well. If you're visiting here for your first time, My name is Michael Coffey. I am one of the pastors here, and the good news is that next week, if you'll come back here, you'll get to hear the senior pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, who's been away on sabbatical for about 30 days, and you're in for a treat. He is truly the finest Bible teacher I've ever known in all my years of ministry, and so you've got that to look forward to. Unfortunately, toward the end of his sabbatical here, he's had the sad duty of performing a funeral for a much beloved uncle who was kind of a second father to Marty and so he's out in California doing that But he'll be back next week and should be here for the 4th of July uh, Weekend services and so I encourage you if you are visiting uh, come back and hear dr. Baker. I think that'll Thrill your heart as you see uh, how God has gifted him on another note also I wasn't supposed to be up here preaching to you this week. Uh, The executive pastor, Darren Brown, was supposed to, but he uh, had a brief hospitalization. He's home uh, now. He's uh, suffering from some pretty severe vertigo, and so I want to start the service off praying for Darren and for Marty uh, both. They've both been going through some trials in their life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've given us Marty and Darren as leaders and what leaders they are And so we pray for your tender mercy in their life. We pray for Marty That as he's assuming the role of pastor to perform a funeral for people that are sad and hurting at the loss of a loved one He is one of those people. It was somebody dear to him somebody who impacted his life and so he has to Form his duty as a pastor, but his heart is also uh, sad. And so I pray that you bind him up and that you help him in all of his duties. And for Darren, uh, all the talented uh, gifts that he has, all the ways that he leads, uh, We don't want to see him uh, down with a bow of vertical. And so we ask that you would heal him, that you would begin right now at this moment, that you restore him to perfect health and bring both of them back to us. Thank you for the leaders that you have provided to us here at this church. Amen. Well, I mentioned uh, before whenever I've been up here that for my devotional life, one of the things I did one time whenever I was still on active duty is that I would read the Gospels of Christ, all four of them, and I chose to spend a year doing that. I was slugging into the Pentagon in the back seat of somebody's car. I would start reading one of the Gospels and then go to the next one, then the next one, then the fourth one, then I'd start over again. And I did that for a solid year of my life. And it was one of the most powerful devotional times I've ever spent. And I did it deliberately because I wanted to learn from the example of Christ. I want to see how he interacted with people. I wanted to learn from his teaching. I certainly wanted to learn from his example. And so I would just go through the gospels over and over again. And so if you've never done that, if you want to have a little different spice to your devotional time, I commend that to you. It might be as impactful for you as it was for me. But since then, I've done other things. I've read through the entire scriptures again as a discipline that I like to do every couple of years. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to put that on your spiritual bucket list to make sure that uh, before you go meet the Lord in person that you uh, have read through the entire scriptures. But sometimes people want to know, so what do you do as a pastor to kind of help out in your devotional life? And I like to study the actual scriptures themselves, but I'll supplement it with other things. There's a small little devotional book that I've used for a few years by a guy named Henry Blackaby. He and his son Richard wrote a devotional book called Experiencing God Day by Day. I love this little devotional book um, because I have never read a single devotion in it that it didn't cause me to pause and make an impact on me. Uh, A seminary professor that Marty and I both had at Dallas Theological Seminary, Dr. Howard Hendricks, used to say, look, any idiot can say it in 30 minutes talking about a sermon or something. It takes a genius to say it in three. And what I find about Blackaby is in half a page, it's amazing what he says in that half a page of a devotional so i'll give him a free commercial but what i also liked about it was that blackaby evidently thinks like i do because whenever i would read what he would say about the life of christ and the example of christ and especially his teaching about faith There were things that during that year devotional that I did in the gospel that I thought. Things that I noticed. And so I thought Blackaby must be an incredibly brilliant person. He's he's having some of the exact same insights that I'm gaining from that. So this morning I wanted to give him a little credit as we go through this. Because both Blackaby and myself are involved in this uh, sermon this morning. And here's, I think, my opening point about faith in Christ and me. My relationship with God is greatly affected by my faith. When I come to God, I must believe that he actually exists, and that he is exactly as he portrays himself in the scriptures, how he's revealed himself in the pages of Holy Scripture. If I respond to him by diligently seeking after him, then it says that he'll reward me. But if I don't come to him with that type of faith, I can't be pleasing to him. And he doesn't sugarcoat it. He says that very plainly in 11 Hebrews 6. I mean, let's try again. Hebrews 11:6. He says that very plainly. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now there's the good news, if I diligently seek after God, if you do, he rewards us for that effort. The sting is on the other side. If I live a life without faith, if I live a life without trust in God, then there's no way my life can be pleasing to him. Regardless of any good works that I might try to perform, any biblical teaching that I might do, any sacrifices that I feel I'm making on the cause of Christ, simple truth is, if I do not have and practice a life of faith and trust, then my life is not pleasing to him. And it's so easy in the Northern Virginia environment, and in a big church like this, to substitute religious activity for faith. Because there's always something to do in this church. Always. But, more than activity, he's looking for faith on my part. Trust in him. Now let's... Define our terms, Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. I'm praying for something, I'm hoping for something, I'm trusting God for something, I don't see it, I don't have it. It's an act of faith on my part to believe that he's going to do it. What I find for me, and you may be more mature than me, is that I have this constant temptation that I really want to live my life by sight, not by faith. I want to know that everything is lined up. I want to know that all the resources are there. I want to know that it's going to work out okay because I'm not sure what's going to happen if I witness, if I give this money away, if I start a new ministry, if I do that. I want to know all those things ahead of time. And he doesn't work like that in the life of faith. Even worse, if I refuse to do something that God clearly shows me in the scriptures that he would like for me to do or I hear from Marty's preaching or I get as I interact with you as parishioners in my life if I don't do it then what I'm really showing is my lack of faith, my lack of trust that God is speaking to me he wants me to do this but I'm just not sure how that's going to work out so I'm just not going to do it now you might say I love God I really do, but the hard truth is I have difficulty trusting him. Now, as a pastor, I'll commend you for that honesty. I appreciate that honesty. And then I'll point you straight back to Hebrews 11.6. It's the same verse for you as it is for me. Apart from faith, it's impossible for you to live a life that's pleasing to him. And so you can't say that I have a vibrant relationship with God if I have trouble trusting him. You can't say that I have a special, intimate knowledge and relationship with him if I have trouble placing my faith and my life and my deeds and whatever else in his care, and his trust. You don't struggle with that, with the idea of a spouse or kids. If you don't trust your spouse, there is conflict at home. You don't trust your kids, it is not a happy place at home. Why do you think it's any different in your relationship with Almighty God. What I find is that faith does not eliminate my problems. This life will always have problems. The Lord even taught us that. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I mean, there's a guarantee. Each day will have enough trouble of its own. Life has problems. What I find is that faith doesn't eliminate my problems. Faith keeps me in a trusting relationship with God in the midst of my problems. Because it's not my circumstances. It's my relationship with God. Now, I'm a retired military person, 30 years as an army chaplain, and so I've had a lot of conversation uh, with military types, and we have a lot uh, out here in the audience, and so oftentimes the conversation will go something like this, ah, look, Padre, the the way this works is I'm really not much of a person of faith. I'm kind of a practical person, you know? And I think, great, how's that working for you? (laughs) Because the most practical thing that you can do is place your trust or faith in the Lord, an almighty God, an all-loving God. There's nothing more practical than that. There's nothing more certain or secure than what you by faith give to his almighty, all-loving hands and trust him with. Let's look at a passage out of Luke 18. Jesus tells a story here, and it's a few verses, about eight verses, but I want to look at that together. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. And then I made it in bold and I underlined it for people like me. So I couldn't miss the point. He's given us the bottom line up front. He's telling us why he's telling the parable. He told a parable to his disciples, quote, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. I mean, there it is. There's the bottom line up front of why he's about to tell them the parable. And here's the parable. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then the Lord summarizes it. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night in prayer, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he'll see that they get justice and quickly. And then I made it bold and underlined it again for myself. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? Because prayer is an act of faith. I don't see God here in front of me. I see evidence of God all around me. I don't see God. I'm praying by faith. I'm asking him for something by faith. It is a life of faith. It is an act of trust and faith that I'm doing every time I pray. You know, what I find is that God rewards those who are faithful. That's what he promises in Hebrews eleven 6. He'll reward those who diligently seek him. And throughout your life, God will seek to grow you in faith. There's some really good news. When you became a Christian, he not only forgave your sins, he enrolled you in an education process of which he is the tutor. That education process is to grow you in faith and trust in Him. The good news is tuition free, best tutor in the world, God Almighty. Bad news, you can never disenroll. (laughs) You are in it forever until you go to be with Him. You can never get out of the education process as a Christian. He will continue to bring things into your life so that you can learn to trust him when you're a new believer. It may be something that's not that difficult, but it seems like an act of faith to you, maybe something as simple as being baptized in obedience because that was a command he gave before he floated off the earth to be baptized, go around uh, leading people to faith in him and baptizing them in his name. That may be an act of faith that you do, maybe something simple and small. If you do it, if you pass that test, then he'll give you another opportunity, maybe something larger, maybe trust you with more resources, a ministry or something, an opportunity to grow Laura and I over the years have noticed that sometimes he'll really give us a burst of growth or a chance for a burst of growth by bringing so many things together. We've had this conversation a number of times in our life, whether it was serving as a missionary with crew, whether it was going to seminary, whether it was 30 years as a chaplain, or here, sometimes he gets all the events in our lives together in a way that she and I will suddenly have a great aha moment, and we'll say, things are so bad right now, they can only be supernaturally bad. Only God could have put us in a box like this. We have no hope Apart from him, let's pray. It's a chance to trust him. It's a chance to exercise faith, to live a life of faith. He's going to do the same for you. I will promise it. He will give you opportunities. If you respond well in faith, he will diligently reward you as you diligently seek him. If you don't, he will give you a chance to repeat that course again. And again, and possibly again, to the point that hopefully you will learn, because it's a foundation, old principle in the way he relates to us. If I've been faithful in a little that he's given to me, if I've been faithful in a little test, then he's going to give me more. He's going to give me another opportunity to grow, to mature, especially as a church leader. He's going to give me opportunities to live a life of faith. He's going to give you those as well. But if I don't respond well, if I don't act in faith, if I don't trust him, if I don't believe him, he has no reason to entrust me with more. I failed the test. I didn't grow. I didn't gain insight from all the times he has done well in my life, the things he's taught me. You see this in the pages of Scripture. The children of Israel were enslaved for hundreds of years. God set them free. Something they couldn't do. They were slaves. He set them free. Miraculous signs and wonders. The Egyptians were giving them wealth untold as they went out. They're in the desert walking around. The Red Sea parts. They're saved from being killed. They're in the desert walking around. Water is coming out of rocks. Food is appearing on the ground every morning. They don't have to work for it at all. They're being led by a cloud or a pillar of fire. They finally get to the promised land. Years of wandering around having miracles it's every single day. Miracles every day. They get to the promised land. They see some of the foreign inhabitants of the land. Whoa. Those look like bad dudes. We can't go in to the promised land. Lack of faith after daily miracles. Daily. So what you had is several hundred Jewish carcasses dropping dead in the Sinai Desert for a lack of faith to go in. Their children and their grandchildren went in. They failed the test. They didn't enter. The Promised Land. Their children did, their grandchildren did, after miracles every day for years. Gets my attention because I get miracles every day and have for years. What is my trust level like? What is my faith level like? The good news is that we all stand at the door of opportunity every time he brings us an opportunity to trust him. And if we pass that test, we know him more intimately. We grow in our relationship with Almighty God. We mature as Christians. Every step of faith leads us deeper into a relationship of wondrous knowledge and personal love with a caring, intimate, Almighty God. God. It's a simple act of faith. And what I find is that faith becomes the key then to releasing God's power in my life. When I have doubts, what the doubts really reveal is Michael, really, after all these years, does not know or understand God. I mean, I just have to turn that mirror on me. I have so many reasons to trust him that when I have doubts, it's Michael. Michael that doesn't know God as he should. There's a direct correlation too, I notice, between how much faith I have, how much of a faith life I'm living, how much of a life of trust I have, with how much I pray. Directly related. If my prayer life is infiltrated by doubts, I choke off the greatest avenue of power that God has to work in my life. Why? Because prayer, like I said, is a faith act. It doesn't make any sense to a world that doesn't know the Lord. That's why I align myself with folks that pray, because I want to be around folks like that. I want to develop that in my life. I want to have a vibrant prayer life. I want to be a man of faith. So I come to a prayer time that good men have been holding at 6 a.m. on Friday morning, and it's over here in the student auditorium for about an hour before they go off to work, you know, on a high water mark day, we might have 15 men, uh, not usually, but it didn't matter to me, because prayer is one of those mysteries of the kingdom, it didn't matter if it's me, the Lord proved that himself when he would go up to the mountaintop and pray by himself, and the disciples were asleep, prayer is not a numbers thing. I go because I want to grow. I want to be a man of faith. And I want to be around others who are. People driving down the road that early in the morning on Old Key Mill Road, if they saw us in there, they'd think, what a waste. You should have been in bed. What in the world are you doing praying there? The answer is, hopefully getting some answer prayers about the things that you've told us about. That Marty and Darren might need. That this church ministry might need. That this country, this nation needs. 6 to 10 to 15 men, doesn't matter to me. I see men who are men of faith, men of trust. It's the same thing for First Friday prayers. We hold those once a month. We'll have one uh, July 5th here. Yeah, I know it's a holiday weekend. People asked me if I was going to change it or cancel it, and I was like, nah, it's idiot-proof. That's why it's called First Friday prayers. If I hold it on First Friday prayer, you you don't have to wonder when it is, you know? If it's me up there by myself praying, it doesn't matter. You know, and church this size, three services, we'll have a total of about six to ten people every month. And they're at the six to ten people I want to be with because they're showing some faith. They're living a life of faith. They're asking things on behalf of you and our missionaries and our pastors and the ministries and the nation. That's who I want to be. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He doesn't sugarcoat it. Without faith, it is impossible for me to please God. And so, I look at that. I Think about the life of David. Because what I find is, God does not comfort us in our distress. He doesn't comfort us in our doubts. Would be a better way to say it, I think. Doesn't comfort us in our doubts. He'll Linger with us hopefully seeing if we're going to work through it based on the same track record the children of Israel have Have I been good to you? Have I been faithful? Have I done miraculous things? Are you still doubting the answer time and time again? Yeah, I'm just going to wallow here for a while in the doubt and complain and worry about it whenever I see David What I love is that he wrote so many of the Psalms, and we go to those when we're hurting, when we have troubles, and we find comfort in those. And if I was to strip away some of the beautiful, poetic language of the Psalms, you know what so many of them that David wrote really say? Oh, my Lord, do you see what's going on down here? I have a maniacal king trying to kill me, and I've done nothing. Let me remind you, the dead don't praise you. So, I need for you to do something now. Why are you waiting so long? Do something. And then, he'll kind of work through, "Ah, but the Lord has been good to me, and I remember from of old how good he was. And he gets himself to a better place, so he finally ends that psalm with a praise and a thanksgiving an act of faith to God. And then he gets a few more discontents and malcontents coming out to the desert to hang around with him for him to take care of just to add to his burden. He didn't realize that God was using that to train him to become one of the greatest kings in history. He just thought, "Ah, like, I really need this, Lord. More discontents coming out here to hang around with me all day. So then he goes to the very next couple of days of his life and he writes another psalm. And you look at it, and what it says is, Oh, my Lord, do you see what's going on down here? That's what I want to be. Not staying there in the doubt. He'll stay with me in the doubt for a little bit, but he's looking for me to move on like David, to remember of old how good the Lord has been, to go to a point of praising him, even though I don't know how this is going to work out. That's what he's looking for for me, because he says, David, that's a man after my own heart, and that's what I want to be. You know, how do we apply a message like this? I don't know. Some of y'all maybe you'll come to uh first Friday prayers. It'll be a banner night. We'll go from 6 to 12 I wonder what in the world the good Lord will uh, do suddenly if he has a larger crowd praying like I said, it's not a numbers thing, but I'd be excited to see what he does in the lives of the people that come For some of you maybe a simple act like you saw Francis and art and others do that I'm going to be baptized. I'm going to give a witness that Christ is in my life and that that is now my life, the resurrection life that I have through him. I don't know what he's going to do with that. Uh, And the world might think, you're how old? It doesn't matter. I'm going to follow through in obedience and do that. Maybe that's what it is for you. For some of you, maybe that you volunteer. We keep talking about vacation Bible schools coming up here. Lord's been wanting a lot of you to lead some folks to the Lord. He's got about several hundred kids that don't know the Lord. They're going to come here. Maybe you're going to volunteer and you're going to lead the first person you ever have to the Lord. For some of you, maybe may be coming to this global leadership summit that we hold every year. Come away to a lonely place. See if God's going to speak directly to you. I love the stories that I get out of that where some soccer mom came to the global leadership summit and she heard the voice of God talking directly to her through one of the speakers. And so she'll start a sports sort of thing that becomes a worldwide ministry. Or some guy that just has a pipe fitting shop in Texas somewhere. And God speaks to him through one of the speakers. And he takes a chance and drills a well uh, somewhere with a missionary group. And it suddenly turns into this huge operation that's bringing fresh water and health to impoverished people all around the world. Because he took a chance. He took a couple of days off work. He paid some money, he came. Because every year I have the same conversation with some of y'all. Let me get this straight coffee. I I, want to really understand. You're wanting me to take a couple of days off work, pay money to register, and come here for two weekdays and listen to speakers talk? And I unabashedly say, yes! (laughs) That's exactly what I want you to do. Take a chance. Do something different, possibly an act of faith. Let me show you some of the lineup of the GLS for this year, and then I'll come back and close this out. But it's a very exciting lineup, and if God's speaking to you, we'll have a registration out there in the foyer afterwards. Let's see who's coming this year to speak.
1: Returning for the eighth time to the Summit stage, we are delighted to welcome back Patrick Lencioni. Patrick is the founder of The Table Group and author of 11 best selling books, which have sold more than 5 million copies and been translated into some 30 languages. After getting to know this dynamic leader through a grander vision story, we were eager to invite Liz Bohannon back as a speaker for the Global Leadership Summit this year. Liz is the founder of Seiko Designs a socially conscious fashion brand that works to create leadership and educational opportunities for women across the globe. In her new book, Beginner's Pluck, releasing just in time for the summit, Liz debunks the myth of finding your passion and instead uses her entrepreneurial journey to explore 14 actionable principles for not just finding, but building a life of purpose, passion and impact. Devon Franklin is an award-winning film and TV producer. One of the youngest executives in Hollywood history, he is CEO of Franklin Entertainment with 20th Century Fox and has produced the hit films, Miracles from Heaven, Heaven is for Real, and The Star. Born to Nigerian parents and raised in London, England, Joe Saxton brings a multicultural and international perspective to leadership. She has served on the staff teams for churches in the UK and the US, and is the founder of the ESA Collective, an initiative that equips and invests in women leaders. Saxton executive produces and co-hosts the podcast, Lead Stories, tales of leadership and life with Steph O'Brien, and is the author of three books, including The Dream of You. A 24 year veteran of the FBI, Chris Voss was the lead international kidnapping negotiator and was trained not only by the FBI, but by Scotland Yard and Harvard Law School. In addition to lecturing on negotiations at business schools across the globe, Voss founded the Black Swan Group, a firm that provides training and advises Fortune 500 companies through complex negotiations. Returning for the third time as a summit speaker, we are thrilled to welcome back Danielle Strickland. Danielle has led churches, started training schools and established justice departments around the world. She spent 22 years as an officer in the Salvation Army and is an ambassador for the Global Initiative Against Modern Slavery, Stop the Traffic. Known for his mental toughness, grit, perseverance and leadership, Bear Grylls is the embodiment of adventure. A former member of the British Special Forces, Grylls has climbed Mount Everest and crossed the Arctic Ocean in an inflatable boat. Winner of two BAFTAs, his Emmy-nominated TV show, Man Vs Wild, was one of the most watched programs in the world, with an estimated audience of 1.2 billion. His newest book, Soul Fuel, will be released in July. Returning for his sixth time to the Global Leadership Summit, we are excited to welcome back Craig Groeschel. Craig is founder and senior pastor of Life Church, an innovative church meeting in multiple US locations and globally online. Known for its missional approach utilizing the latest technology, Life Church is the creator of a U version Bible app downloaded in every country worldwide. A New York Times best-selling author, his latest book is Hope in the Dark.
0: You see the dates there, August 8th and 9th. I hope you'll pencil that in. And if God leads you, I hope that you'll come. You have an opportunity to sign up out there. Let's end here, and we'll take an offering here in a moment by reminding ourselves the words of Holy Scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He'll help us as we grow in the faith. Doesn't matter if I'm a doubting Thomas and the rest of the disciples are saying, the Lord is risen. I'm not gonna believe unless I can actually reach out and touch it and see the wounds. He appears and says, go ahead, believe. I'm not a ghost. and put your hand there if you want to. He's gentle and individual with each one of us, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let's pray together. Lord, I do pray that we would grow as a people that should trust you. How can we not trust you? You've been so good to all of us. And so, whether it's a rebellious child, a job difficulty, a bodily illness, a marriage in trouble, or anything else, how can we still not trust you? May we be people of faith. And as we give this offering this morning, that's an act of faith. You don't need a single penny from any of us. We need the opportunity to be people of faith and give to you and to your kingdom and trust that you can multiply simple money like fish and loaves to be a blessing to many and for your kingdom to come. We ask that it would be so. Amen.